Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. I brought on Joe Goodberry of BanglesOnTheBrain.com. I think the guy that you go to if you want Bengals coverage. He's fantastic. Go follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Also check him out on YouTube, too. Joe, we appreciate the time, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely, Joe. He joins us via the Body Works Plus guest hotline. So, Joe, I saw you respond to Josh Norris talking about Brian Callahan, his role within the offense. Repurpose it here. Just what kind of role does he have within this offense, and what is he responsible for? Yeah, so everyone, when you're interviewing an offense coordinator, wants to see, does he call plays, right? Is that something we can take with us? And it's always the first question I get asked because Callahan's getting interviews uh, throughout the league. And he does not call the plays in Cincinnati that Taylor does as the head coach, but his role is designing, orchestrating, building the offense and the game plan from a week-to-week basis, from installs in camp and mini camps throughout the summer. Uh, it is the, the major adjustments, the big changes they have made throughout seasons, in-game, uh, working directly with Joe Burrow and the quarterbacks, and trying to make sure everyone within the offensive system is on the same page because the Bengals do it a little bit differently. While Zach Taylor calls the plays, they have Brian Callahan as the offense coordinator. They have Dan Pitcher, who's the quarterback's coach, work on third-down offense, third-down packages, third-down situations. Wide receiver coach Troy Walters is the red zone guy, working on packages and new schemes throughout the year and maybe plays that work in-game. And then you have the offensive Line coach Frank Pollock is also the run game coordinator who is working on the run, run game, run scheme, and how they want to attack the next opponent. So it's a big group effort, and Callahan oversees all of that and gets them all on the same page and gets the game plan ready week to week. And everyone does have a say in play calling on game day. They're all in Zach Taylor's ear, giving them information, giving them suggestions, giving them things they've talked about throughout the week to keep them on track. So I think that managerial aspect is what is intriguing teams around the league well and joe how different was that offense with jake browning at quarterback after joe burrow like it seemed different to us and i think that's what put him more on the map maybe with panthers fans that's the point they keep going to the fact that you guys were winning the fact that jake browning was throwing for over 300 yards and it did look so different what did you notice in that transition from joe burrow to jake browning at qb yeah and this is something the bengals have done under callahan and taylor throughout their four years now. If, they have, if, if they've needed to morph and change, they can do it on a dime, and they have found success. And sometimes it takes a couple of weeks, but they will drop everything they've planned and switch it in-game or throughout the season. And they were hit with that this year again when Joe Burrow first had a calf injury in the, in the summer as well, they had to change the game plan for the first few weeks until he got healthy. And then when he goes down for the year, halfway through the year, and they're inserting Jake Browning, who was a former undrafted quarterback. He had a lot of numbers at Washington. But to be honest, what we've all seen on tape and, and in-game and preseasons was not very uh, – I wasn't very high on his prospects. And I don't think anyone really was in Cincinnati. And I don't think anyone was really on the team as much as they say it. You know, I 
speaking with people going into that was like, yeah, let's see what can happen. First week was just dropping Jake Browning into a Joe Burrow offense against Pittsburgh Steelers. It did not work out. Six Bengals scored 10 points that week. Browning did not look very good. And they said, okay, it's not going to work. We gave you the opportunity to be Joe Burrow. You're not Joe Burrow. Let's scrap it and go completely different. And they did. And that is a sign of good coach. And what they did differently was, okay, let's get you under center more. We're going to run the ball a little bit more, be more varying in our run scheme. We're going to do more play actions, give you easier one-two reads, half-field reads, uh, give you easier throws with screens, not just to the receivers, but to the running backs. The Bengals were a terrible screen team up until Jake Browning became the starting quarterback. And then they were hitting explosive screens at a high rate. And that's something that's like, okay, I didn't think they could do. I didn't think it was in their repertoire. I didn't think it was in their, in the, you know, in their pocket to pull out. And they found a way to become a highly efficient screen team. And that's, again, a mark of what they've been able to do while Callahan's been there. And I think it definitely got not just Callahan, but Dan Pitcher on the map for coaching uh, interviews around the league because you're like, hey, if I can get solid production from a guy who nobody believed was actually good at quarterback, what can you do with a guy that's really good or a top pick like Bryce Young? And I think that's where the interest is. Joe Goodberry joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can follow him at Joe Goodberry from Bengals on the Brain. And Joe, when you talked about his quarterback success and what he did, do you feel like that that is the best indicator that he can get the most out of Bryce Young here? Yeah, definitely. I think anytime a, a team's looking for a new uh, head coach or even an offensive coordinator, you're looking, can I get the best? out of the quarterback. Can I maximize our quarterback here or find the guy that's going to be next? Now the Panthers obviously have drafted their guy and you know, you're going to, you're going to have to get the best out of him no matter what for the next three years at least. Uh, so yeah, I think the idea here is okay, let's salvage this project. Let's get the best out of him. And Callahan has worked with Peyton Manning. He's worked with Joe Burrow. It's like, those, that's, you would like to impart some of what he's learned with those, you know, number one picks and, and also impart that onto and see what you can squeeze out of Bryce Young. But also, I think because Callahan sees it through a quarterback lens, always working with quarterbacks, uh, also, I think one little tidbit is also they had in that draft where they but they took Joe Burrow number one, their number two quarterback was Justin Herbert that year. It wasn't Tua. Like, they see quarterback very clearly. Uh, I think also part of it is in Cincinnati, that's also different, is the coaches, because Bengals have the smallest scouting staff in the league, they use their coaches as scouts. So like when the season ends, they go right into looking at these draft prospects. They go right into evaluating these college uh, players and they have to have opinions. They have to be ready. They've got to talk throughout the, the off season until the draft day comes. They get the guys they want because of it, because they're such a big part in drafting. And I think that's also key to a guy that is going to be a, a head coach or, or running the show or running a program. And so I, I do think there's a lot of positives here, number one, from the quarterback perspective, but also overseeing the offense and then how does it affect you in the draft and the players you are acquiring. Well, one of the guys that we were talking about in a true position of need here is wide receiver. And so we know that T. Higgins was one of his receivers and is expected to be a free agent uh, when the offseason hits. And do you think that he could possibly come over here if Callahan is the hire? Do they have that type of relationship? See, I don't expect he to even see free agency. I expect the Bengals to uh, tag him. Uh, that's just how they do it. It's very similar to the Jesse Bates situation a year ago where – Hey, we're going to get a deal done, but we still believe we're in a Super Bowl window, and we believe T helps us get through that window, and they're going to tag him. And, hey, if a team is interested, and I've heard the Panthers have been interested before in T, 
and have had tried to have talks, but the Bengals are very hard to deal with in terms of trades because they're going to overvalue their own guy. They're going to say, no, we want a first-round pick no matter what. And the you know, Panthers going to say, hey, we've got 33. Isn't that good enough? Isn't that close? We'll have to see how that plays out. But, yeah, I could see a connection being there, and maybe it's a, it'd be a little bit more of an open situation having your former coach move on and, and go to and be on the other side of that phone call when they do call and say, hey, we want something or we want to talk about T. Higgins. Bengals may be more receptive to that. Joe Goodberry joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Bengals on the brain.com. Go check him out on YouTube and follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Joe, we got a lot of people texting in too. their interest in Brian Callahan uh, also involves the ability to navigate and operate with a poor offensive line. That's been the thing about Cincinnati. Joe Burrow's been amazing. Great wide receivers. Offensive line been a little porous. Uh, is How have you seen what Callahan and Zach Taylor have been able to do despite the lack of protection? protection up front yeah that's been their greatest challenge no doubt if they had even an average offensive line they probably win a super bowl at some point over the last you know two years when burrow was healthy so it is something we reflect on and talk about very often i think part of how the offense has changed under callahan and when during the joe burrow era is is a big part of the offensive line from being one of the quickest passing teams in the league to getting the ball out of joe burrow's hands to using play action and misdirections and screens to try and uh, limit the pressure, limit some of the true pass sets, so you're not putting so much pressure on your offensive line. If you remember that 2021 Super Bowl against the Rams, the Bengals only ended up having one starter return the next year on that offensive line. That was former first-round pick Jonah Williams, who's still a starter as of now until he gets free agency. Uh, But it was a bunch of guys that never ended up playing in the NFL again, and they made it that far, and they were an explosive downfield offense that year with hitting deep shots to Jamar Chase and T Higgins. They did it in that Super Bowl. The following year, teams put a cap on it and said, we're not going to let you throw deep down the field anymore. We're going to be a cover to shell against you guys and force you to do everything underneath. And it slowed the Bengals down for the first four weeks. They were really poor against the cover two. They can't, they couldn't figure it out. Everyone's like, you know, oh, Zach Taylor, Callahan, they're not it. At the end of the season in 2022, the Bengals were the number one team against cover two defenses in terms of efficiency and EPA, and they got back to the AFC Championship game, losing by three points, again, with a bad offensive line. The final play in 2021 was Aaron Donald beating beating Quentin Spain at left guard. The final play of 2022 was Chris Jones beating, uh, I think it was Hakeem Adenergy at right guard and ending their season on the final play. And it's just, you know, you wonder if, while they did get past it, while they did survive as much as possible with one of the worst offensive lines, we have our own, like, man, if they could have protected it a little bit more, if they could have done a little bit more. But at the same time, they, I, you give them credit because they've done a lot. And now remember, Brian Callahan is the son of Bill Callahan, the right. offensive line running in coordinator for the for the Browns, who is the best offensive line coach in the league, hands down. And I wonder if there is some of that that bleeds over into Brian and why they got probably better play out of the old line or able to have a functioning offense with such a bad line. And so on that point about his father, how big of a presence do you think his dad will be if he were to come here with him at least early on in his tenure? If he were to come with him, I think it would be huge. I mean, clearly he is the best old line coach and would get the run game going instantly. It would be, uh, I mean, we've said the same. If we had his dad here in Cincinnati, well, I feel like we'd have a ring as well. So, like, it's it would be gigantic. Now, I have talked to Brian about this. I have asked questions before, and it was, 
hey, you know, do you want to work with your dad? Is that something you strive for? How come he never came to Cincinnati? And it was, you know, I want, kind of want to be my own man. I want to do my own thing. But sometimes you want the best of the best. And if the situation happened and they did, they did coach together, then so be it. So I don't know if it's something he it, would automatically would say, hey, we're getting my dad to come with us, where it's more of, you know, if it happens, if he's the best guy, then he would do it. Joe, do you view Brian as that alpha type of coach that can, can run a team and, and has a strong hold on his team and everything that, that happens? Or or do you fancy him more as a coordinator that puts more of the responsibility on the players to kind of take care of themselves? No, there are a lot of stories of him regrouping everyone. The, the Bengals always, haven't had it easy. They've had a lot of success, but they've been – four and four at the halfway point. They've started seasons one and three, and they've been able to turn it around. There's been some inner turmoil and, and wonder about, you know, are we are we messing this up? Are we not, you know, competing at the highest level? Are we not maximizing all the talent we have on this offense? And it sounds like Callahan does a great job of getting everyone back on the same page, presenting new ideas, saying this is how we're going to change, this is how we're going to do it, and this is how it's going to work. And the guys seem to buy in because it works afterwards. And I think, you know, once you prove that a few times, guys buy in and that's it. They listen to what you're saying. They listen to the direction. They, they, they follow along with it. So I think he's more of that type. He's the manager type. He's, I don't, you know, I do not know if he's going to want to call plays as that coach or not, or if he's just going to delegate that stuff to somebody else. Uh, in, is it going to be like, all right, I'm the manager type where I can get everyone to buy in and feel good about what we're doing. Like, you know, a Dan Campbell type for the Lions. Is that it? I don't think he's rah-rah. Maybe a little bit behind the scenes. Like, I've heard stories of, of games where they've, they're they down a receiver. It's only Jamar Chase. Or they're down Joe Burrow, and it's like they they go to the offensive line and, and Joe Mixon. It's like, guys, this game, we're going to run it down their throats. We're going to take their will. We're going to win this game because of you guys up front. Are you ready to do it? And the guys are like, they're like, let's do it. We're bought in. And they go and they do it. And they find a way to run the ball. For the first time in 10 weeks, they, you know, they average over five yards per carry and they figure it out. That game against the Panthers, if you remember a couple of years ago, yeah. Panthers were number one run defense. And that was a very similar game. They didn't have Jamar Chase. They're like, hey, we need to run this. We're going to run it against the number one defense. And they, Joe Mixon goes for five touchdowns. And it was, that was one of those games where like, we can do it. Let's instill it in our minds. And I believe that came from Callahan that week from what I've heard. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's like that. I think that's what you're getting. Wes, I'm on the Callahan caravan right now. Everything's sounding pretty Woo! good, isn't it? We got a lot of people on the text line saying, all right, I'm sold. I'm convinced. <laughs> Joe Goodberry on the Body Works Plus guest hotline convincing a lot of Panthers fans that Callahan just might be the right guy for the job. If you want more Bengals content, go to Joe Goodberry on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, banglesonthebrain.com. I've long considered, I think a lot of people consider him the guy to go to for Bengals content. Joe, we appreciate the time, man. That was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, boys. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show...
All right, let's do it. Body Works Plus guest hotline is uh, where we go to bring in Vashti Hurt, uh, Carolina Blitz. There aren't many better at covering local sports than what Vashti and her crew do at Carolina Blitz. And we got to get her opinion on these coach and GM searches the Panthers are doing right now. Vashti, Happy New Year. What's going on? Thanks. Happy New Year. You know, just enjoying the, the reprieve until until the Panthers start uh so Tepper starts dropping these bags at these coaches and GMs. Uh, they always give us a good search or two, though, to, to, to well, bide our time for a while. Yeah, yeah January has turned into, not because we're in the playoffs, Vashti, but January has turned into a hot Panthers <laughs> month for all the wrong reasons. Um, exactly. Okay, so what do you think? So I'm, I'll tee you up for this one. Multiple people said, get Vashti going on the Panthers, not even spending a second talking to Jim Harbaugh. So does this bother you like it does us? It's aggravating. I'm not saying you even need to hire the guy but to feel like if you're david tepper and this organization has been this woeful and that guy that's a flat-out winner like is not even worth a discussion it drives me crazy is this something too that that has driven you crazy or no so much so that i wrote an article and okay. i posted about okay. it because I'm, I'm like well what are we doing if you're a serious franchise right like the carolina like david tepper wants the carolina panthers to be perceived as then you hire the best possible candidates and Jim Harbaugh, with his winning track record, is a great candidate. And so to not even have him in the interview cycle is is baffling to me. I have no idea why, you know, why you wouldn't even interview him, even if it's just to, to show fans yes. that you're serious. Like, even if you're not even, okay, I don't like him. And there were reports that they had a, um, an interest meeting, I guess, last year. Maybe they didn't click. Okay, fine. But you at least interview the guy for a, for a, for a head coaching for this position now. And to instill some faith in fans, like, listen, we're turning every stone to try to get the guy who will be in Carolina for the long term. So I, I just don't understand why they haven't reached out to him. Maybe Harbaugh doesn't want to interview with the Panthers, but reports have been that, you know, he's been interested yeah. in that job. So you, you at least got to make the phone call. See, I'm with you 100%. I'm glad to hear you put it out there in writing. And that's why, yeah, people want to get you stirred up this morning. But I'm, I got you back 100%. I, we got multiple texters, Bone and Vashti, that are asking, didn't they talk to Harbaugh last year? Vashti, you can weigh in on this. It's my understanding with Harbaugh last year, Jim called Tepper a couple of times. But it sounds like Tepper is kind of like, you know when you're on the phone and someone's saying something that you just don't like? It sounds like he was like making gestures in the background like this guy again. Like, it sounded like he was not interested at all last year, and Harbaugh was basically throwing himself at Tep, is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, yeah. exactly. Those are the reports that Harbaugh reached out to Carolina, interested in the job, interested in, in what, you know, interested in building with Carolina and making and bringing, you know, a winning franchise to the to this to the two states and and you know there was reportedly a meeting between the two but you know if the guy is out here saying yo pick me pick me you at least take him on a date right yes. i don't know yes. that, that's my yeah. there was a report a couple weeks ago that that the Panthers were kind of deeply worried about the reputation and how their franchise looks right now. So you are so spot on. If you're worried about how your franchise looks, you'd link yourself to Belichick, to Harbaugh, to Vrabel, any big name out there, whether you think you're going to get him or not, whether you think that it's the right fit, you would at least link yourself to that name. So guys like Ben Johnson, all these other guys will see it and go, well, they're, they're talking to the biggest names. When you don't talk to those people, it's kind of a weird thing, right? 
Exactly. And, you know, the Panthers and more specifically David Tepper is in a position where, you know, because of the perception of the franchise, he's going to have to sell the Panthers to the coach. I mean, if you want to if you want a top candidate, if you want one of these hot names like a Ben Johnson or, you know, even uh, Slowick from from Houston, you're going to have to sell the Carolina Panthers and you're going to have to sell yourself. Usually it's the other way around. But because of everything that has happened, because of the coaching carousel, because of the drink, drink, drink throwing day and and the weekly meetings. David Tepper now has to sell the Carolina Panthers to his guy. And and you do that by showing, listen, I got other people who want to dance with me. So let's 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 see how this works out. But right now I just I'm just very confused by how they're handling it. And he has this outside firm with Sportsology who's uh, supposedly um, helping him. I just am curious how much influence they're having in the in this search yeah. so far. Good question. Ashtai, Joe Person's got a piece up this morning about Dan Morgan's been involved in the head coach search interview. So that leads to more of all right, is the plan gonna be Dan Morgan personnel and then maybe one of these guys will be their their cap guy. That looks like it could be the direction they're headed in. What do you think with how close Morgan was to Fitterer, what do you think of Dan Morgan kind of being the guy in charge of personnel potentially? I felt like if the Panthers wanted to clean house, they needed to clean house. Period. You clean out. You don't bring. You don't. You don't bring your leftovers. You 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 get rid of everything. Um, obviously, it didn't work out with Scott Fitterer. Uh, you know, and Dan Morgan. I'm not sure what kind of kind of influence he had as assistant GM uh, with those personnel decisions with the, the NFL draft. But you know, if, if you're cleaning house and you're trying to get, uh, you're trying to give a fresh slate. Then you get rid of everybody, all your coaching staff. You allow your new head coach to to put together his his staff, and then you get rid of your GM and you and and you allow that new GM to 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 bring their own guys in as well. I also don't understand hiring the head coach before the GM, um, and maybe that's because they already like Dan Morgan. But I just and this is not a knock against Dan Morgan. I just think the Panthers need a clean slate. They definitely do. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I hate saying it because Dan's a great dude. Yeah. But and, and if he's kept in some capacity, you know, I, I think that's cool having him here. I, I don't know if he'd be happy and it would just kind of be in the same job. That's but, why we but did God, see- another set of eyes, another way of doing things can really help. That's why you mentioned leftovers in your answer there. Mac did eat Thanksgiving leftovers at one point for nine straight days. So we've seen people really ride out the leftover train for a long period of time in the city before. Is that is that a record nine streak? Nine days. Yeah. He definitely had the bubble gut. <laughs> <laughs> that stuffing was still strong. I'm telling you, the uh, records he has. <laughs> Vashti, do you have a favorite of the of the head coaching candidates? Because what you're saying about Harbaugh, I agree with 100. percent But of the ones, like it's it's starting to become clear. Okay, they've done like I think like 11 of the interviews. Apparently, Avero and Callahan. It's been reported are going to get second interviews among others. Like, do you have a candidate of the group they've talked to that you like the most, or a candidate or two? What are your feelings about that? Um, I would probably say Ben Johnson, and I know that everybody's on this Ben Johnson train, but what he has been able to do with that, with that Lions offense is, is, you know, you can't deny that. I mean, I think they've been what top five since he's been calling plays. Um, and I like the way that he meshes the run game. He relies on the run game and also the passing game. So I like Ben Johnson. 
And you know who I like? That Houston, Houston Texans offensive coordinator, yeah. Bobby Slowick. That Shanahan coaching tree is, like, tough. And yeah. he's part of that coaching tree. Um, what I've heard, and I think T-Bone um, posted, uh, 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 posted on Twitter what a reporter who reports for the Texans said about his coaching style and yeah. his offense. And I was reading, and I was like, oh, this is lit. So what <laughs> yeah. he was able to do in Houston with um, C.J. Stroud and with all of those young players and how they how he was able to bring the best out of his guys, I like I like what I've seen from him. So right now I would say those would probably be my top two uh, guys if you're bringing in somebody new. But I also fear that, you know, unless they put it in their contract, look, we're not doing weekly meetings, I don't like to be micromanaged, you know, they're still going to have – you know, they don't have the cachet. They don't have the resume to tell David Pepper to sit back. And that's another reason why I thought that Jim Harbaugh would be a good choice for Carolina because, you know, sometimes you got to flex your muscles. You know, David Pepper has a, a pair of brass, a, a set of brass balls, they say, reportedly on his desk because he has the resume to back it, right? And the money. Sometimes you need to have somebody who has their own set on their desk to counteract that, that energy. Um, so, you know, and that's why I like some of, some of these coaches who can say, look, I've done this before back, back, relax. Let me handle this. Vashti, what are you guys working on this week at Carolina Blitz? I assume some coverage tonight of, uh, Wake Carolina, right? Yep. I'll be at Wake Carolina. Duke fell to, to, uh, Pitt. So we'll see how they bounce back. Um, you know, with if uh, Duke falls, out. if Duke falls during an NFL playoff game, my question would be: Did it really actually happen? That's just my own personal <laughs> perspective on the situation. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way Vashti came up in here, Bone, and had to remind you your Blue Devils lost. You know what I mean? Vashti, we were trying to play it cool well, you today. Know, I, I, I wasn't. I, you know, they were without Roche Mitchell. Yes. So see how these guys recover from injury. They play Clemson at the end of the week. So we're in college college uh, basketball season and then on Coach GM Watch right now. All right. Check it all out at Carolina Blitz. Vashti does a great About job that. at covering all of that stuff going on, whether it's Panthers or college hoops here in state. Vashti, always a pleasure. Uh, thanks for coming on. Be good. All right. Thanks for having me. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. You know, some big wins in the ACC, though, even though the overall national opinion of this conference doesn't seem, couldn't seem to be lower. We got Wake and Carolina tonight. We'll get to it all now with Stephen Wiseman. Covers Duke and he covers the ACC for the News and Observer. He's back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. What's up, Stephen Wiseman? How you been, buddy? I've been well, Kyle. How have you been? Um, you know, today's the first, the, the ACC just announced the first weekend of football games. So, it's, 
I guess we're supposed to talk about football this week. We're not going to talk about football this week. <laughs> no, I, I can put that off. I, I do miss college football, but I, I can wait a little while on the schedule talk for sure, especially when we have big-time college hoops to talk about. So um, let's, yeah. let's just start with that, right? None of us expected Pitt to go into Cameron and beat Duke. Why would we have expected that? They were 1-5 in five in conference. Duke's the better team. Yet Duke still found a way to lose that game on Saturday. Stephen Howell. They did. Um, I mean, obviously the headline, you can't overlook the fact that they had two starters uh, on the bench in street clothes, Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell. So, um, you know, that that's certainly played a role. There's no, nobody around that. But uh, especially because that's a team that Duke had beaten, you know, by 22 points just 11 nights earlier up in Pit, up in Pittsburgh. So, um, but uh, John Shire wasn't, wasn't buying that, wasn't, didn't use that as an excuse. You know, he didn't like the way the team came out. They were down 9 nothing in the blink of an eye. He had to call a timeout. It was 17:30 something to go in the first half. These are things that don't happen to Duke at Cameron very often, and uh, the team just didn't have their mind where it needed to be, and they got out rebounded. They didn't defend very well. Uh, they shot decent, uh, but it was more uh, not not defending well, not rebounding, and, and basically Pitt was a tougher team, and so um, that that happens sometimes during a season. Normally, you want to get through that, especially against a team in lower division, and, and get get the win anyway, but. That, that wasn't in the cards for Duke the other night. No, I mean, you're, you're right. The injuries, listen, you, you cut them some slack. No Mitchell, no Roach, but still a game that you expect them to win, right? What, what have you thought, by the way, about Shire so far this year? He, he, he picked up a couple of big wins. I, I thought that he put a couple of notches on his belt, but, you know, it's seen some up and downs. What have you thought so far this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, until Saturday night, <laughs> you know, they'd won eight in a row. Right. And so I thought, okay, because last year, it took them to the middle of February, and then then they reeled off ten in a row, won the ACC, went into March uh, into the tournament with that winning streak, and I thought, okay, well, it just they got it done earlier this year. They were able to find what they needed earlier, uh, especially because the week before they had beaten Georgia Tech again, a team at the bottom of the conference, right? But um, that they'd done it w- with without Mitchell and Roach didn't play most of the last eight minutes of the game, and they still were able to win a close game. So I thought. Okay, this team has some grit. They have some pride in their home court. Uh, you know, they, they beat Baylor up in New York, a very good win. Uh, and they started to um, kind of put things together. And then, you know, they had a clunker. And so, um, you know, he's still uh, is going to lead on. This is the team with four starters back, right? So they should be able to get through this and get back to their higher level of play. And that's what that's where he is now. And I, I, but I, ha- I have to say, I haven't seen him as angry after a loss as he was the other night. Uh, at Cameron after that lost to Pitt. He was, you know, pounding the table with his fingertip multiple times making points and uh, just really was disappointed with, with how the team played. There you go. we got Stephen Wiseman, sports writer, assistant sports editor, news and observer, covers Duke, of course, Believe Network co-host over there on the podcast network as well. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Um, so as far as tonight goes, let's move on for a second. Carolina Wake. Um, Carolina 7-0 and in conference. They are rolling right now. Wake Forest, Steve Forbes, we were just talking about Coach Forbes. He needs to make the tournament. Um, he, he took some you know heat over the weekend for leaving his starters in late against Louisville, but he's saying, hey, guys, it's metrics-based with, with these net ratings. Like, you know, you got to do it. He hates it, so on and so forth. But, I mean, they're doing everything they can to make the tournament, and a, a quad one win over Carolina tonight would be a massive step toward doing so. What do you think about this game tonight? Yeah, it really is. It, it's, not, it's not a must-win for Wake because it's only January. But if you win this one, that prevents some must wins down the road, right? You can go ahead and get that get that hay in the barn, uh, 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 money in the bank kind of thing. And so 
this is a game where we're going to see how far this program has come under Forbes. They've come a long way. He's done a really good job up there and um, and gotten them closer to where they want to be back to the NCAA tournament. And this is a team that's good enough to get to the NCAA tournament, but they need to win like tonight. They don't have any quad one wins. They don't have any bad losses. There's a lot of teams like that in the ACC. They don't have any bad losses, but they don't have any great wins. And they need, they need a quad one win or two or three. And so when these opportunities come, like tonight, they need to grab one. The, yeah, they need to grab one. Well, Carolina. All right, give me your honest assessment of Carolina, right? I I think that they're a team that should be at least in the discussion of Final Four and you know maybe beyond, but they also have taken some losses this year that make you question that. Uh, this, but their, their recent play lately, I think, has to be taken into account, of course, but like, how good do you think they are? Yeah, I mean, right now, they're playing as good as a team that can go deep into March like, like a couple of years ago and get to the Final Four and get to the last night of, of play um, with, with, with the balance they have, with the inside game. You know, Baycott's always there, right? And now R.J. Davis is playing like an ACC Player of the Year candidate. And uh, uh, we didn't know what to expect from him after Caleb Love left, that more was going to be on R.J., and he's been able to handle it very well. And then Harrison Ingram coming in has been a big difference for him. Cormac Ryan, the transfer from Notre Dame, has brought grit and toughness um, and some sandpaper uh, uh, to that team. And I really, I just really like what Hubert's done over there and, and how he has it going right now. Right now... Uh, they they are as good as anybody in the country, and um, uh, but as we've seen, uh, that can change quickly. And so uh, we have to see if they can continue this on through regular season play. Yep, no doubt. Now, NC State. Let's talk about the Wolfpack for a second. Um, they they take a tough loss at home to Virginia Tech on Saturday, and you know after. A couple of weeks of, I think, questionable basketball. They picked up a couple of wins that made you say, all right, all right. And then Kevin Keats, you know, gets a little salty. And, hey, we're tougher than people give us credit for. But now we look up. They're 79, I believe, in the net rankings. They're 0-4 in quad one opportunities. There's still a lot of opportunity out there. But NC State, give me your assessment right here on January 22nd. Yeah, I mean, right now, uh, they're not a tournament team. And it's because they lost to Virginia Tech is a, is a big one. That's, that's not the only thing, but... The fact they don't have any quad one wins, again, like Wake, they don't have any bad losses. Their only loss, uh, losses are in quad one and quad two, so they don't have any of those real, real clunkers. But they don't have any win that, that sets them apart from, from the teams they're going to be competing with you know, in other conferences to get into the tournament. So they need to get one somewhere. And that's another thing about the ACC of this year and in recent years, there aren't as many quad one opportunities out there as there normally are. Because teams aren't as high up in the in the, in the net, you know, any teams in the top fifty, and top thirty. So uh, again, like Wake, you have to get them where you can, and uh, uh, you know that was that was disappointing for NC State on Saturday to lose that game at home after they played so well uh, down the stretch, coming back to beat Wake. That was a big win for State, but they kind of fumbled a little bit of that momentum away against Virginia Tech. Yeah, they did. I, I don't know what the Hokies are, by the way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a proud one. I know that. And I'd like Mike Young's done a good job with the program. But I, I just don't know if they've got enough juice this year. I thought Saturday went a long way toward, you know, staying in the mix, staying in the conversation. But what, what do you think? I think the backcourt's got enough. But sometimes I wonder about that frontcourt. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, Padula and Hunter Couture, uh, you know, those guys always are dangerous. They can win a game. They can take over a game in that backcourt. But it's just a matter of if they can get the easier baskets, uh, when, you know, when, when, so you're not relying on jump jump shooting all the time. That's a dangerous way to go about life, and uh, uh, they haven't been consistent enough in the other areas of the game. But I mean, I know you know one week from today, I'll be up in Blacksburg probably when you know when Duke plays uh, Virginia Tech, and that's always a game that uh, Duke 
has trouble up there. And that's, again, you talk about a quad one opportunity. There's one right there for, for the Hokies. They already have two quad one wins. So um, that's why they're higher in the net. I think they're in the 50s, 51, 52 uh, compared to NC State. And so uh, they're in the conversation because of, because of what they've accomplished already in non-conference play. I mean, the ACC has two top 25 net rankings teams right now. Two top 20 to be technical. But you know, I, there's talk that the Mountain West is going to get more teams in the NCAA tournament than the ACC, Stephen. Um, and, and looking at the net ratings, obviously you can see why. But what do you think of that? I mean, has the ACC lost that much over the last handful of years? Yeah, it's really more uh, – you have so many teams. And then you know, next year it's going to be worse, right? You're going to have three more teams in. And, and so you get uh, the, the bottom half of the league really drags people down. Like if you lose a game, you know, like, like Duke lost to Pitt. I mean, that's, that's a good win for Pitt, but it really is a bad one for Duke. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where if you want, if Duke's going to lose a home game, you know, as, as, as uh, Jim Phillips would probably prefer it was to Wake Forest or NC State, right? So they can, because they're a little bit more up chance to get into the, into, the, into the tournament than Pitt is. And so it would have helped the conference more if you look at it from that point of view. But, I mean, that's, that's where we are. And, you know, there's been so much change in the conference, right? We've, uh, there's a bunch of Hall of Fame coaches that decided that they're, they're we're off into the sunset recently. And so there is some transition going on. Uh, but, you know, I really thought coming into this year, the conference did much better in non-conference play than it had two seasons previously. Uh, there hadn't been a lot of ugly losses, a few they here and there, but not like we've seen in past. And um, uh, but it's just not reflecting itself right now uh, with what's happening uh, in conference play, uh, with with getting those teams up higher in the net. Because Clemson was really good non-conference, uh, uh, and then they got into conference play and they struggled, frankly. And Miami has struggled in conference play. And those are two teams we thought were going to be tournament teams. That, Right now, we're kind of uh, struggling to get back up there. Yeah, and look, a lot of folks would tell you that, hey, it's not about reputation. It's not about you know perceived strength. It's just about the numbers. It's just about the metrics. That's what the net rankings are about, and uh, there's certainly some truth to that. Hey, I, Stephen, we appreciate you as always, buddy. Thank you for the time. We'll catch up with you soon. Okay, Kyle. Take care. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.